Welcome to Blitzcats, an NFL Draft podcast brought to you by NFLDraftBlitz.com. And now, your hosts, Alex Kavtov and Ed Hunt. Welcome to another episode of Blitzcast. Ed and Alex, the Lions couldn't wait any longer. They pulled the plug on the Matt Patricia regime. Matt Patricia is gone in his third season, and the GM, Bob Quinn, was also not spared by the Ford family. Matt Patricia becomes the third head coach to lose his job midseason this year. I'm still curious where Adam Gase hasn't lost his job, but that's for another show. Ed, did the Lions make the right move by pulling the plug on Patricia? I still question whether it was right to to get rid of Matt Patricia. You know what I think of what I think of with Matt Patricia is he did a lot of Belichick like things in in Detroit and I wonder, you know, we you look at the trajectory of Bill Belichick's career and he didn't work out in Cleveland and you know, think about the trajectory of Cleveland's story if they had stuck with a guy like Bill Belichick. That's a valid point. The Browns pulled the trigger on Belichick, but I just don't see that Matt Patricia is the next Belichick. What makes you think so? I mean, I haven't seen anything that would tell me otherwise. I think Matt Patricia should be Matt Patricia and not the next Bill Belichick. And I think Patricia was just trying too hard to be Bill Belichick, and it just didn't work. Sometimes you have to be yourself, Ed, and that's the role that you have to play because players can see right through it. I mean, you're not coaching high school. You're not coaching college. You're coaching professionals. These guys have been through a lot of things. They've seen a lot of coaches through the years. You just have to be upfront. You have to be honest, and you have to be yourself. And I don't think Matt Patricia can do that very well. Look, his record, 13 wins, 29 losses, and one tie. This is with Matthew Stafford as your quarterback and I thought Bob Quinn the GM he did a pretty good job putting this roster together as far as draft picks maybe they let some guys go but I thought he hit on a lot of first round picks I would say this comes down to coaching and this was brutal the last couple of weeks they've lost to some really bad teams it's it's just a matter of you know giving this guy a chance to sort of build a program and build with the players that he wants. I understand he's had the team for three years, but I mean sometimes you have to just kind of trust the process with some of these guys. Man, I get the feeling that you you would keep a head coach for ten years. You would give him a long leash. I mean he could be like the nicest guy in the world, but if he's not getting the job done, and what is the job? You have to compete for the division title. You have to get into the playoffs and eventually win the Super Bowl. I just don't think they were making progress with Matt Patricia. How long do you have to wait? Well, I, I just I like the idea of, of sticking with a coach and letting him learn from his mistakes. You know, like I think sometimes these NFL teams they kind of send the message to their coaches. Well, you know, you you got to win in the next two or three years, or sometimes in the first year, and if you don't do that then we're going to just move on to another guy. You know, we'll just we'll just replace you. We'll we'll buy out your contract and, you know, we'll move on. And I just I don't agree with that philosophy. I think you find a good guy, you find a good mind. You know what? Smart coaches are going to learn from their mistakes. And I think that's what Belichick did. I mean, he used Cleveland as a way to 
learn from his mistakes. And I think if you let him learn from his mistakes in Detroit, I mean, Detroit is going to find a new regime and they're going to find a new coach. But, you know, what are they going to do? They, you know, they could give him two or three years and then realize he's he's not performing as well either. I would say take a take a, a mind and, you know, let him let him learn from his mistakes. And sometimes failure is just the you know, the teachers for success. And I, I, I really, I think I think with the Patricia move, I think you let him sort of build a Belichickian kind of system. You let him roll with Matt Stafford. You let him draft the quarterback he wants. Maybe instead of getting rid of, you know, your head coaches, maybe go, go out and get an offensive coordinator, get an offensive mind who can work with Matt Stafford. You know what I'm saying? Whereas Patricia's more the defensive mind. According to Bovada Sportsbook, the Lions are a three-point underdog versus the Bears, and the Bears are at home. But how long do you have to give a head coach? How long do you have to let him learn on the job? He had two and a half years. You can't give him five years and continue to lose, but continue to tell your fan base that, hey, Matt Patricia is getting better every year. You know, last year we were 5-11, and 11, but this year we're 6-10. and 10. But wait. Next year, we're going to be 7-9. and nine. How long do you have to wait? Sometimes you can be a very good offensive or defensive coordinator, a great one. You can be a great assistant head coach. And he won a couple of Super Bowls with the Patriots. And I think it was in 2016 when we had, when the Patriots had, you know, a defense that held opponents to like the fewest points ever. That was great, and I think he'll go back to that role, and he does a great job in that role. But as far as being a head coach, I don't think he's head coaching material, and some guys just aren't. But I hear you. You think that he'll get a second chance, and he obviously will. A lot of guys are getting a second job after proving themselves again as as the defensive coordinator. So it's not a bad thing. I hope he learns, and I hope for the next job, he is going to get that that chance and showcase what he has learned, the mistakes that he made with the Lions. But you know what? I just I don't believe it. I I don't see it in Matt Patricia. If I believe in like Joe Judge because of his fiery temperament and because he's got a lot of charisma, I believe in Brian Flores. I don't believe in Matt Patricia. He's just trying too hard to be Bel Belichick, and he's not. And he should just be himself. And then I think everything would, would take care of himself. But what stopped him from getting in a really good offensive coordinator? What stopped him from bringing in you know, an offensive genius? You're making a good parallel that Belichick failed with the Browns and then he bounced back with, with the Patriots and look what he did. He's the greatest head coach of all time. But what makes you think that Matt Patricia can... Even get into the playoffs next time he gets a job. I think the problem with Matt Patricia is not so much from an X's and O's standpoint, but it's just that he's not a great motivator. And sometimes you need you need a little bit of uh, you know of all of them. I mean, some some teams. I mean, they get their great motivator, and it could be an assistant coach, it could be the head coach. I mean, with Pittsburgh, you look at like early in their career, you know, they went with Mike Tomlin, and he was fiery, and he was tough, and he was going to run the organization, and. Even though he was a defensive guy, they kind of defaulted to, you know, an X's and O's brilliant guy in Dick LeBeau. And Dick LeBeau was the defensive mind. And I, th- I think from an X's and O's standpoint, Mike Tomlin learned 
from Dick LeBeau. And eventually, you know, he learned that 3-4 defense coming from a 4-3 system where he ran in Minnesota. So that this is just the example. You know, you need to have that motivator. You need to have that defensive mind. You need to have that offensive mind. You need... You need all these different things to have a great co- a great coaching staff. I, I think Matt Patricia is kind of calm. I think he's kind of cool. I don't think he's the guy who's going to get under Matt, you know, Matt Stafford's skin and really make sure he has a big game and a big game situation. I think you you know you need to have your top three or four coaches be good coaches to really make a coaching staff work. Well, what stopped them from hiring that that great coaching staff? That's his job. He's a head coach. He's putting these guys together. It's his job to bring in the the best defensive coordinator, the best offensive coordinator, the best quarterbacks coach. So he's not a very good judge of of coaching talent. That's part of your job. It's not only the X's and O's. It's on, it's not only game management. It's not only you know working and developing those players in practice, but it's about uniting and bringing in good people that will help you become the next great head coach in the NFL. The NFL is is a win-me-now league. That's just, as harsh as that sounds, I mean, that's the case. If you're not winning, if you're not showing progress from year one to year two, you're not going to be safe. I mean, you need to show that you're developing these players. Matt Patricia was known as a defensive guru. Well, you know what? Detroit Lions defense stunk it up all three years that he's been in charge. So I don't know what defensive guru he was. He wasn't able to figure it out in these two and a half years. He did Matthew Stafford disservice because Matthew Stafford and the Lions offense, they were scoring points. They were doing a pretty good job, especially last year uh, You know when, when they went on a roll. He wasn't able to fix his side of the ball, and he is a known defensive guru and just he wasn't able to do it that shows me that Matt Patricia is not he's not learning from his mistakes he's not a good communicator he's not a very likable person if you listen to those press conferences I get it Bill Belichick is not a likable guy but if you're not a likable guy you better win football games because you're going to rub a lot of people the wrong way within the organization. You're going to rub the players the wrong way. You're going to rub you know, the ownership, the front office. A lot of players have come out on Twitter and just basically applauded this move. That says a lot. A lot of former players and a lot of players that are currently on the team. When you're not liked inside that locker room, that means a lot if you're not able to, to win it over. And that, that just tells me a lot about Matt Patricia, the type of coach and the type of person that he is. He wasn't able to win that Lions locker room. And that was his biggest problem. Because when guys are going on Twitter and saying nasty things about him and basically laughing and, and applauding, that's not something you want to hear. That's Let's move on. Let's talk about what the Lions will do next right now currently they have the number nine overall pick in the first round and we don't know who the gm is going to be we don't know who the next head coach is going to be right now matthew stafford is still on the roster what do you do ed how do you improve this team what do you do with that ninth overall pick do you take the best quarterback available who will eventually 
either take over from Matthew Stafford or eventually be groomed behind him? Or do you take the best defensive player? Because, again, the, the Lions' defense stinks. To be honest with you, I, I think this D- Detroit Lions team really needs a corner. So a guy like Sertain, the second from uh, from Alabama, I mean, I think that would be the perfect fit for them. You know, a guy who comes from a winning culture, a guy who, you know, is probably the best cornerback in this draft. I think he, I think he would be the best move, I mean, his value is somewhere around nine as well. So I, I, I would think a guy like uh, Patrick Sertain, I think you get a cornerback. I don't think it's time to, to draft a quarterback quite yet. You know, I, I understand there, you know, there's the op- option of like a Trey Lance or something like that. But I would still wait and, you know, build some other pieces on this team and try to win a few games with Matt Stafford. Look, the Lions haven't won a lot of games lately. And Matthew Stafford has been a, a very good statistical quarterback, but he hasn't been a winner. He hasn't been a guy that has taken the Lions to the playoffs. I think you have to do a rebuild. I'm looking at this roster, and there are a lot of pieces that you have to get. I just don't think this is the team that can compete with the Packers, even with the Vikings. So I think there's a lack of talent, as crazy as that sounds. Even though Bob Quinn did a pretty good job, but I think there's a lack of talent. Overall, there's not enough depth. And I just think with that ninth overall pick, I think the Lions have to look long and hard at the quarterback position. Whether it's Trey Lance, whether it's Zach Wilson, I mean, whoever you like, draft them. I'm not saying get rid of Matthew Stafford. I'm saying keep him on the roster, bring in the young guy, let him sit and learn behind a veteran, and then eventually take over in 2022. I don't think you cut ties with Stafford. And also the salary also plays a part in this. I mean, you're not going to be able to eat all that salary money uh, from Matthew Stafford. So I think that's the direction that they have to go with. They have to address the quarterback position and get their guy for the future. Because apparently, just whatever it is, it's not working. And you start with the quarterback and then address the defense. Interesting point that you go with Sertain. Not that... He's not a bad player. It's just interesting that you go corner back-to-back because they went with Akuda in the 2020 NFL draft with that third overall pick. It hasn't worked out during his rookie season, and it's interesting that you would you would take another corner in, in 2021. Right there, I'm just trying to address the need. I mean, the cornerback is a really key position. I mean, especially if you look at like a lot of these Belichick teams and you look at a lot of the good teams around the league they have that number one corner who can at least you know make it make it hard on you know a number one receiver and I think I think that's what's I think that's something that the the Lions should shoot for it's an interesting take like I said Bill Belichick has had success because he's had a strong secondary the Miami Dolphins are having great success with with Brian Flores who is basically uh, done a copycat of the Patriots. He's addressed that secondary. I just think I would address the pass rush. I would take the, the 49ers approach. Need to get guys up front that are able to disrupt the quarterback, get after the quarterback, get sacks, force fumbles, turnovers. That's how you make your secondary's job a lot easier when you don't have those guys. If you don't go quarterback, I think you have to address that defensive line because the Lions just don't have enough pieces up front. All right, let's talk about 
a team that's just been struggling the the past couple of weeks. They haven't been able to to find any type of rhythm. It's the Tampa Bay Bucks. What's going on with them? They were looking like a team that was going to easily coast into the playoffs and might even challenge the New Orleans Saints, even win that division. Well, it's been complete opposite. The Saints are red hot right now with Taysom Hill at the helm, and Tom Brady and company are are struggling in Tampa. I, th- I think the Tampa Bay Buccaneers look great on paper, and in a lot of ways they are a good team. I think the problem with this team is how it was constructed is they is they put together a lot of individuals, you know, a lot of big names. I mean, they brought in Antonio Brown, which is just a move that baffles me. I mean, why when you have a good situation would you bring in a guy like, you know, Antonio Brown when you have Chris Godwin and Mike Evans? I mean, it's just it seems like they have a lot of a lot of talented guys who are more individuals. And I I think that's what's really keeping them from being that 1A team and I think when you have a quarterback like Brady you know Brady did it a lot of times with some some good you know receivers but not high pedigree guys not high ego guys Brady was always the biggest name on those Patriots offenses it was always you know him and some great offensive linemen I agree with like a move like getting Tristan Wirfs but I mean and he's had a good year this year but I I really do question you know, taking a guy like Antonio Brown and, you know, just with all the receiver firepower they have in Gronk. I completely agree with you. I, I like your point. Yeah, they constructed an all-star team filled with individuals, but they don't have a team inside. And Brady just can't get these guys all organized and try to get them on the same page. And I think he's frustrated. I think you see that. Even if he is not showing it, I'm sure he's frustrated inside that locker room because he's thinking, like, why did I choose the Bucks? I could have gone somewhere else. It seemed like Bruce Arians brought in all the pieces and he had the wide receivers, but I completely agree with your points. I mean, at this point, the Bucks are at sixth seed if the season ended today. They look like a fringe playoff team. I think they'll be there. I mean, they'll make the playoffs, but they've really struggled in prime time against the Rams, against the Chiefs. They're heading into the bye week. They have a soft schedule coming up over the final four weeks. They play against Atlanta twice, against Detroit, against Minnesota. I think they can win all four of those games and and easily get into the playoffs. But I'm just not sure that they can beat a good NFC team once they get to the playoffs. I do, I do know what you're saying, but I mean, you know, give 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 the Bucks some slack. I mean, they lost to the Chiefs, you know, they lost to teams like the Saints. I mean, it, it's it's like you know, the three of the four that they lost were tough teams, and I'm not ready to throw the baby out with the bathwater, you know, with the Tampa Bay Bucks. I mean, the, this is a team that is just filled with talent. And to be honest with you, we saw at the beginning of the season, you know, it was hard to get that team together. But once this offense keeps playing together, I mean, they're going to be a tough team. So, you know what, this team may be, you know, wild card team. You know, they may not win the division. I could still see them being a tough team and a force to be reckoned with in these playoffs. Well, like I mentioned previously, the Bucks are on a bye. And the most intriguing matchup this week in the NFL on Sunday is between two eight and three teams. And the Titans, according to Bavada, are minus six point favorite at home against the Browns. This is going to be an intriguing game. The Browns just beat the Jags 
by two points. They almost let that lead slip away at the end. And the Titans just completely dominated the Indianapolis Colts last Sunday. So are you a believer in the Titans? Are you taking the Titans over the Browns? You know what? To be honest with you, I'm going to go with the Browns in that game. I'm going to go with the upset. I I think the Titans have a good team, but you know what? The Browns can win a close game because they can run the ball, and they have Nick Chubb, who, I mean, is probably a top three running back in this league. He is uh, a guy that that just doesn't get enough love from the media, a guy that just keeps quiet and goes about his business. We have our first guest on the show who is waiting for us on the line. We would like to welcome Randy Peterson to the show. He's a writer for the Des Moines uh, Register. He covers the Iowa State Cyclones. Uh, Randy, how are you today? I'm doing well. Bright, sunny day in Des Moines, Iowa. Doing well. Looking forward to uh, covering a very good Iowa State football team on Saturday. They are uh, a very good Iowa State football team. They are currently 7-2. and two. Overall, right now, 7-1 and one in, in the Big 12 Conference. What's been the key to the Cyclones this season, Randy? I think the biggest key is they have not had, since practice started, any COVID outbreaks among the players, to the best of our knowledge. And Iowa State has been releasing the numbers every so often. To the best of our knowledge, Iowa State has had no COVID-related situations with players, or the coaching staff for that matter, which is incredible in, in these times, as, as you know. And the only players who, are, who have been out, and there, there aren't many, it's, it's less than a handful probably, have been because of legitimate injuries. That, to me, is what's been the most impressive thus far. Now, on the field, the most impressive has been Brees Hall, who's got... 1,260 yards rushing, number two in the nation in, in rushing yards, although he's played two fewer games than the, than the national leader, which is fine. But Brees Hall has been, has been spectacular in his, in his sophomore year. But he's certainly not 100% of the offense. He's certainly not the offense. Um, Brock Purdy has been a, is a quarterback with, who's very, very good, who could be in the pros someday. He's got got the most talented tight ends in the nation I'm, I'm saying that he's got three tight ends that he throws to and they all are, are very good and they'll all probably make all big 12 and the defense has been has been playing very 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 well so all in all just been so much consistency this team has improved with each game you know the team had a had a hold your breath moment at the very end of the texas game when the texas kid lined up and and with a 58-yard field goal, and that ball was I, that ball was I don't know whether you guys saw it or not, but that ball was headed right down the heart of the uprights, and then all of a sudden, and maybe the last five yards of the end zone before it got to the uprights, it it, it hung a left. That was an incredible moment for Iowa State because had he had he made it, it would have forced overtime, and you know who knows what could happen in the overtime. The fact that Iowa State is winning close games, the fact that they've been COVID-free essentially, and, and the fact that they've got got multiple weapons on offense and a defense that's that's probably one of the Big 12's top two or three, and I know that's not saying a whole lot for the Big 12, but, but all in all, that's why the Cyclones are, are who they are today. 
Iowa State, obviously, in the early part of this season, beat the Oklahoma Sooners. But do you think the turning point for this team was when they lost against Oklahoma State? Because it seems like they have gotten better in the last four weeks of the season. Make a point at that. Because Iowa State lost that game. Iowa State played poorly in that game. For the most part, they played poorly. Iowa State missed two field goals it usually makes. Brock Purdy did not look exceptionally well until middle of the fourth quarter, maybe even Iowa State's last drive. That, that, and then Iowa State's played very well since then. Yes, I agree. That's certainly a teaching moment for Iowa State. Matt Campbell had little pieces of film he could say, okay, here's – or on video evidence, but okay, here's where you screwed up. Don't discount the season-opening loss against Louisiana as being a turning point also. And I know that's easy. This first game of the year – God, was that this year? It seems like it was 100 years ago. Losing that game on the, the way it, the way it lost, but the, Louisiana returned a kickoff for a touchdown and returned a punt for a touchdown, showed that Iowa State needs to shore up its special teams. But there was a reason for that. And I and I think Matt Campbell, I'm not saying they, they just punted on that game. Matt Campbell and his staff, and the med, including the medical staff, combined, they were so cautious of the COVID, of the mitigation since, practice started in August, whenever it started, that they were just practicing in small groups. They weren't practicing as a, as a team until possibly the, the, the week of, of the Louisiana game, which means that, yeah, okay, your, your kickoff team is working on stuff, but they're kicking the ball and nobody's returning it, for example. I mean, they're, they're just going through the motions during practice. So they didn't get a chance to go 11 on 11 until uh, last week leading up to to the Louisiana game. So they they chose to do it that way, while others, I'm sure, were, were going ones against ones during practice, you know, a couple of weeks a couple of weeks out. But Iowa State chose to go the other way. They were taking the ultra-safe route, and, it, and it's paid off. I'm not saying that's why Iowa State lost, but, boy, Iowa State sure did not come out ready to play that game. Iowa State looked rusty in that game, and they looked about five steps slow against a very good Louisiana team, by the way. Nonetheless, in a normal year, Iowa State wins that game. What did the win against Texas mean to this program? That was big for this program. I mean, after the game, Matt Campbell doesn't really get emotional, at least publicly. And after the game, when he was interviewed on TV, he broke down a little bit. He got emotional a little bit. And 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 what it was, it was a culminating moment that, that where I would say essentially 99.9% chance clinched its way into the Big 12 championship game. It gave life to the, the hope that Matt Campbell was selling these seniors five years ago when he took the job. A year after going three and six, Matt Campbell was telling these, this senior class, guys, we're going to win championships here. We're going to win here. I want you to be part of it. And they hung with it. They bought into Iowa. You know, while other, while school, other schools were, re- big power five schools were recruiting them. They bought into a hope and a vision. And all Matt Campbell had to sell was, was Iowa State, and now the, the facilities, by the way, since Matt's taken the job, are, are, are being – there's a $90 million overhaul going on right – building going up right now, right? You know, football complex going up. So, But all Matt had to sell was hope and a vision of what he wanted for the program that, that had essentially no tradition like that. The seniors bought into it. Beating Texas, and Brees Hall scored that three-yard touchdown run with a minute 25 to go when that – 
the 58-yard field goal tailed off to the left. It just brought out all the emotions of, of Matt Campbell and, and it gave credibility to, what, like I said, to what to the hope and vision they sold these seniors five years ago. So, yeah, that's that was the significance of, of, of the Texas game, and the Texas game was huge in that respect. What do you think of the year that Brock Purdy is having? Workmanlike, maybe. He's not been great. He lost some very good receivers through graduation after last season. The number one receiver coming into this season was going to be preseason All-American tight end, Charlie Kohler. Well, Kohler got hurt, not the, not the COVID. He got hurt during preseason practice. He banged up a leg. So he was out for the first two games. And, and after him, it's essentially not new receivers, but it's, it's receivers who Brock hadn't yet developed the confidence in. So it took him a while to figure out who the go-to receivers were going to be. He wasn't great in the early parts of the season. He has shown signs of brilliance. He's made dumb mistakes, really stupid mistakes. Then, like I said, he's shown signs of brilliance. I thought he'd probably have a better year than what he's having, but when I look at it, you know, 65 68% completion, something like that. He's not been horrible, but maybe my expectations and the expectations of Iowa State fans were a little bit higher. But nonetheless, he's been good. He and the tight end, the tight ends are now his favorite receivers. And they've developed deep receivers as the season's gone on. Xavier Hutchinson, a transfer. Uh, Landon Akers, senior from, from right here in Iowa. He's developed them. He's got Kane Nwangwu, a back running out of the backfield. Brees Hall can catch passes. As the season's gone on, he's developed more confidence. So he's, get, he's getting better. But I would not say that this is the kind of season I expected him to have. But after his first two seasons, I think my expectations were off the charts high. You mentioned, obviously, Brees Hall. What does he bring to this program? He's kind of taken off ever since David Montgomery left for the NFL. Brees Hall has picked up the the rock, you can say, from Brock Birdie this season. He's, he has, and he's done – this guy, he was – he almost had – he could have had a thousand yards last year as a true freshman, but he barely played in the first four games. This was last year. Now Campbell wanted him to, to just get acclimated to being on campus, but once he started, once he started playing and once he started carrying the ball consistently, wow, we could see that that he had flashes. He runs so smooth. He doesn't have the the power bulk that Montgomery had. The dude's just a just a sophomore, a true sophomore. That'll come gets through the line pretty pretty good he just puts his head down and runs and he's he's fast i don't i wouldn't say he's the fastest guy on, i know he's not the fastest guy on the team but i'm i bet you he's in the top seven or eight he's a one cut and go guy his ball security is is excellent he's a good blocker he's been known to catch a pass or two so he's just he's just i know this is a cliche but he's he's the whole package and he's done it in essentially 18 games, not even that. He's, he's done it essentially at 16 or 17 games. Probably going to win the Doak Walker Award for the nation's top rusher. The way things are going now, I don't know how many quarterbacks are going to be around at the end of the season, but he could be, he could be, underline could, a top five Heisman guy. He certainly will be an All-American. He's just a good all-around kid, you know, works hard. And, and I know it's all the cliche things, but, but that's what he is. It just combines it all, which is which has been pretty cool to watch. Matt Campbell had success at Toledo, came here to Iowa State, and he has built a winner in a very short time. 
What's been the key to his success? I mean, how has he been able to to achieve that? He's not getting five-star guys, but it seems like he's developing them. So what do you think has been the key to his success? To carry off of that, what you just said, Brees Hall, after the Texas game, said, we don't have five-star players, but we've got five-star culture. And I don't think he meant to take a direct shot at the Longhorns, but it was a pretty good zinger. That is exactly true. Iowa State's getting getting three-star guys and maybe an occasional four-star guy. What Campbell and his staff have done, it's a, they're very proud in saying, and saying Iowa State's a developmental program. They get the three-star guys and they turn them into four and five-star, five-star level guys. Matt Campbell is a guy who does not get too high or too low, and I know we saw him get emotional on Saturday, which was totally out of character for him. And and that's been good. He's been a stabilizing force, stabilizing factor for the players. As Charlie Kohler told me a couple of weeks ago, if you meant, if you missed Matt Campbell's message one day, you, you're going to get it the next 10 days for sure because it's the same thing over and over and over and over again. Nothing's too high. Nothing's too low. They've recruited very well. And I, I've covered Iowa State for many, many years. Iowa State is now, I don't want to say a destination job, where, you know, I don't think this is Matt's last job, obviously, but it's certainly becoming a destination place um, for, for coaches. Like I said, there's a $90 million addition to the football complex going up right now. Iowa State's got a 61,500-seat stadium that's packed at normal times. Waiting list for tickets. It, it, the fan base is, is spectacular. They've been, they've been able to, to rec- like I said, to recruit good players, and a lot of them right here from the – from the Midwest. I mean, they've got a Mike Rose, who was one of the best linebackers in the big 12 and certainly could be on one of the three all America teams. He's from Ohio. Um, Brees Hall's from, from Wichita, Kansas. Number of Iowans are on the team. And that, and that's, that's saying something when, when the university, when Iowa state's getting, getting some of the top talent in the state of Iowa, which I've been around the register for that's the only place I've ever worked. I remember the days when the university of Iowa was getting, when, when, when Hayden and Kirk were getting all of the top state of Iowa talent. Well, now Iowa State's starting to get the top talent in the state of Iowa. It's been gradual in in a respect that the first year wasn't the greatest, but then game by game, practice by practice, possession by possession, this team has gotten, gotten better. Randy Peterson is with us. He covers the Iowa State Cyclones for the Des Moines Register. Randy, you mentioned that you and I believe, and everyone else in this in this world who's paying attention to college football realizes that Matt Campbell is is gonna go elsewhere. Michigan job might open up, Nebraska job might open up. I mean, that looks attractive. Do you think he's gonna stay put at the end of this year, or do you think he's gonna go? It's a great question. I don't think any of the jobs you mentioned would trip his trigger, and I know that Michigan's gonna throw seven or eight million dollars out of somebody if in fact they make a coaching change i don't care how much how many atm machines you have that they hand out free money at the schools it's going to be tough to, to fire coaches this year because of all the financial situations that the universities are in that the athletic departments are in and i know that harbaugh what he's only got one year left on his contract anyway so the buyout isn't wouldn't be huge but hey, let's just break it down with i with with michigan for example campbell's an ohio guy when Urban Meyer left Ohio State, a lot of people thought that he was destined to be the next Ohio State coach. 
and, and I don't know. I don't think that ever got close. Would an Ohio guy really go to Michigan? I don't know. And with Michigan in the disarray that it's in right now, four of the last five coaches have, have left Michigan, either been fired or left in disgrace. Man, I don't know whether that's a that's a real plum job anymore when you're based on whether you beat Ohio State. You're playing in a tough division in the Big in the Big Ten. Nebraska, that's I don't that's not going to happen. That's not even that's barely a parallel job anymore from the way Iowa State's program is the way they're taking care of Campbell and the way the the facilities are are right now. That's 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 barely. Um, you don't think he's going to consider any job in college? So is. Is the NFL the, well, the only calling card for him? No, I didn't. I, no, I didn't say that. I don't think he's going to consider any job. That, in, in Texas, you were mentioning. I, I don't know whether Tom Herman's going to get fired if they if they've got a, a grant or if they've got a, a promise from Tom or from uh, Urban Meyer that yeah, Tom Herman's probably toast. But I don't even know if that's going to if Texas is going to open. No, I uh, those jobs. I don't think those jobs fit Matt Campbell. What would fit Matt Campbell would be a Notre Dame. For example, and that's not going to open. What would fit Matt Campbell would be Penn State. You know, who knows what's happening up there? Matt Campbell's already turned down some invitations to talk to the NFL. I don't know whether he's turned down jobs or not, but I. But at least he's turned down some invitations to talk to the NFL, and that was over the last two seasons. Matt Campbell's going to have a team coming back next year that's better than this year's team. So, I just don't see him going anywhere after this season unless a Penn State would open or unless a Notre Dame would open and Notre Dame certainly not going to open. I think that's his next caliber. That's his next level of job. I really do. I know people are saying, well, what about the money? Well, yeah, I get that. But Matt Campbell, I don't know. I haven't known him to be a huge money guy yet. And I know he's just, you know, he's in his young forties. He just had a birthday last week. So I get that. I get that money could end up being a huge factor, but right now Iowa State's doing everything it, it can for him. And like I said, he's got a better team coming back next year than he's got this year. Do you worry about this upcoming game against West Virginia for the Cyclones? Absolutely. West Virginia plays pretty good defense. West Virginia knows that it can it can play a spoiler. I think West Virginia plays Oklahoma a week from now, maybe something like that, I think. But going back to what I said earlier, I've, I've seen this Iowa State team get high you know get be be excited after games and then and then flush it so quickly that it's it's totally gone from them by the time they show up to practice again on monday or sunday or whenever it is plus it's senior day and i've already talked at length about about the seniors yeah okay there's probably a concern a concern for a little bit of a hangover from texas but it should be clearly gone by now it, it because not only are you preparing for for west virginia but you've also got three COVID tests to pass each each week. Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, you've got to pass those COVID tests. There's a lot going on right now. And, and Iowa State's been, like I said, so far been focused in the in the COVID department. I, I think that focus is going to carry over for the remainder of the season. I, 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 I really do. And, and maybe I've just bought into it. I don't know. But I've seen it. I've seen it happen. So I, I, that's the only thing I have to go off of. But, yeah, it could be a rocky start for Iowa State. But, but I think in the end, Iowa State wins. Uh, Bovada has Iowa State as a six and a half point favorite at home versus West Virginia. Yeah. I've seen that. I've seen six and a half. I've seen seven. Yeah, it, it could be. West Virginia is good. West Virginia is is yeah. This won't this will not be an easy game for Iowa State. I mean, by far it won't be an easy game. Iowa State's going to have to play its butt off. It's going to have to play every bit as good as it played in the second half against Texas. But I think I think Iowa State can do it. I think Iowa State's mindset 
I don't think it's going to be a mindset thing if Iowa State gets beat. I, I don't. I don't think it will be Iowa State still hung over from from the Texas win, you know, first win down there in 10 years or whatever it was and, and getting into the Big 12 championship game. And, I, you know, the players know that they're in the Big 12 championship game anyway. I think they're ready to put the cherry on top of, of what's been a very good season. We're going to put you on the spot. Will Iowa State win the Big 12 this year? Your Big 12 championship game? Yeah, the Big 12 championship game. I, I don't think so. Oklahoma's, depending on who it is, I think it, I'm guessing it's going to be Oklahoma. Oklahoma Sooners are playing good. Sooners are playing very good. They've got everything going right now for them. So yeah, I think that I think that's a that's a tough game. I would say it's if it's Oklahoma, Iowa State is wow. They have to play better than they've ever played before. But but uh, you know we've seen things happen. But Oklahoma would would win that game. Please tell our listeners where they can find you, just on Twitter or whatever. On Twitter, I'm at Randy Pete, and very simple, DesMoinesRegister.com, and then you click around and find sports, and then you know you'll find it. Randy, thanks for being with us. My pleasure. Call me anytime, guys. We would like to thank Randy Peterson for being on the show and giving us some knowledge about the Iowa State Cyclones. Let's continue college football talk, and let's talk about the Heisman. Uh, the Heisman has been pushed back this year uh, from usually it takes place at the end of November, but because of the, the season that the crazy season that it has been because of COVID, the Heisman is going to take place in uh, on January 5th. Who are your favorites right now for the Heisman and who is your front runner? Well, I think right now Kyle Trask is the front runner, but you know what? If there's my there's my guy who I'm going to pick to win the Heisman, who I really, in my heart, think is going to be the Heisman Trophy, the guy who's going to be holding the hardware at the end of the year, I think it's going to be Trevor Lawrence. And, you know, Trevor Lawrence has basically been been out because of COVID. And, you know, first it was his own COVID diagnosis or, you know, positive test. And then it was when you get Trevor Lawrence back on the field and playing games, yeah, watch out. <laughs> you know, I think he's going to have a chip on his shoulder. And we've seen Trevor Lawrence in his career. He can be a little bit streaky. You know, he can he can go through some cold streaks like any other quarterback. But to be honest with you, my eventual frontrunner is Trevor Lawrence. And my right now frontrunner is Kyle Trask. I mean, obviously Clemson is going to have that redemption game against Notre Dame in the ACC championship game and the Irish have a terrific defense and that's just going to be a an excellent matchup for Trevor Lawrence to to actually show what he's made of because Clemson you know lost the game without him and you know he's going to be motivated right now he has thrown for over 2200 yards 19 touchdowns and only two interceptions so this year he's keeping that number down He's not up there with Kyle Trask right now just because he's played fewer games. But if he did play those two games, he probably would have 10 more touchdowns. But right now, Trask is is definitely the leader. He's carrying Florida. He had that big win against Georgia, which a lot of people believe that he wasn't going to be able to uh, to get that that key win against uh, you know a huge SEC opponent, and he did that. He he shot his critics and. He has thrown for over 2,800 yards, 34 touchdowns, and only three interceptions. He's spreading that ball around. He's finding Kadarius Toney. He's finding Kyle Pitts. 
It's been a pleasure watching him. This week, the Florida Gators are facing off against the Tennessee Vols. And Bavada has the Gators as a 17.5 point favorite. Yeah, Kyle Trask and Trevor Lawrence are the definite front runners for this award. Who are some of the other guys that we should be keeping an eye on? Do you have a couple of other guys that are in there in the race as well? Well, I, th- I think you need to you need to have your eye on Justin Fields. I mean, especially if this Ohio State team runs the table. I mean, the, the, the Big Ten started their schedule late, and so, you know, you can't put him as a front runner right now because you just don't have a big enough sample size. But, I mean, if he continues to win games, I, I, I really do think he could run the table. That indicates to me that Justin Fields is right in there. He has to be part of the conversation. He can't have a slip-up for sure. The other name is is Mac Jones. I mean, the fact is is that the Alabama Crimson Tide are the number one team in the country, and um, you know they're they're kind of back on top. And Mac Jones is putting up the stats. I mean, I don't I don't think he's the NFL quarterback that some people are saying, but there are there are draft names that are that are mocking him in the first round and even in the mid first round. I think he's an intriguing name. He's a smart quarterback. I really see Mac Jones as being more the backup type. That kind of becomes a coach later on uh, down the line. Um, he just doesn't have that wow factor for me. But you know what? He he is in the conversation, especially you know if Alabama goes on and you know they win the SEC. You know, especially at the end. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I kind of worry about like a someone picking Kyle Trask right now is like you know Mac Jones is going to go against Kyle Trask in the SEC championship, and then you know you could very much see Alabama coming out on top, and then people say, well. You know why would you vote for why would you vote for Kyle Trask when Mac Jones just beat him in the SEC championship? So that will be what's fresh in people's minds. And to be honest with you, I mean, recency bias is is gonna play a factor in in how the the, the committees vote and how the writers vote on this. I think Kyle Trask can lose to Alabama but have a really good game. There, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, he does Alabama is the number one team in the nation. They've continuing to play great defense if Kyle Trask can limit those mistakes and not throw the picks and throw for like three or four touchdowns I think he's still going to be my guy that I would vote for even though I do realize that Trevor Lawrence will gain on him especially if he uh, delivers against Notre Dame so a lot of it is going to depend on that that championship game the SEC championship game and the ACC championship game about Mac Jones I agree with you but I also remember same people were saying those same things about Tom Brady when he was coming out. And just Mac Jones is kind of sneaky. If you evaluate his film, he really throws a good deep ball. I mean, just the ball placement and he hits the receivers in stride. And I haven't seen anything like it this year. And I think, I mean, it's one thing he has the receivers. He has a great team, but he is just... I didn't see A.J. McCarron do that. I didn't see Greg McElroy do that. Alabama offense hasn't missed a beat without Tua. Mac Jones, we saw glimpses of it last year when Tua was injured. Mac Jones is playing lights out right now. I want to mention two more guys for the Heisman. I want to mention Zach Wilson. Forget about the fact that he hasn't played anyone. Just look at his numbers. I mean, over 2,700 passing yards, 26 touchdowns. Two interceptions. The Zach Wilson mania should continue. He should be in the race. 
and he should be among the four or five finalists this year because he's been one of the better football players this year. And I want to mention a running back just because running backs never get invited anymore. They never get talked about. I remember in the 90s when the running backs used to win this award. They used to pile up the, the Heisman trophies, and now it's all about the quarterback. But I want to mention my guy, Jarrett Patterson, the running back from Buffalo. He just had, I don't know, a game for the ages. I mean, kids dream about games like this. He ran for 409 yards. He scored eight touchdowns on the ground against Kent State, Buffalo scored 70 points altogether he already has 920 yards and he scored 16 touchdowns he's averaging 8.6 per carry it's hard to argue with those numbers if he continues to put up you know 150 200 yards the rest of the way you gotta put him in there i'm not saying he's gonna win it but jared patterson is another name that that deserves the to be among the finalists this year, among the four or five finalists that we have. We would like to welcome another guest to the show, Kurt Weiler. He is a Florida State beat writer for the Tallahassee Democrat. Kurt, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on, guys. FSU finished the regular season 2-6, and six, canceled the last three games due to COVID. What has gone wrong for the Seminoles this year? Well, I would say it bears mention, first of all, that FSU, as far as FSU is concerned, the season is not over there is a hope i know within the program that they could make up one of the home games they lost at least if not two i know just as recently as uh last night mike norvell said he is preparing his team to play december 12th against who he doesn't know who yet so that does bear mentioning that the, the games haven't been quite a, entirely canceled yet and i know there's optimism within the program they could still play i mean it, it's almost easier in terms of looking at what's gone wrong to talk about i mean what hasn't gone wrong. I mean, it's pretty wild that a team less than seven years removed from a national title is kind of in the state it is and has been for a while. I mean, it's not like this is – this may be in terms of record a new low, but this is – I mean, it's been really a three-year trend, even a four-year trend of, of disappointing results. I mean, it's, it's a situation – I mean, obviously, you look at a place like Florida State and the, the talent they normally have on their roster – when you go through two transition classes with new coaches over the course of three years and do it during the kind of new early signing period, that's obviously that's had a significant hit on just the talent on the roster. It is not, it is normally in the past has been kind of a, a roster in the sphere of those top teams, and it's not the case lately. And I mean, I think Mike Norvell, there's also something to be said for Mike Norvell, maybe not entirely understanding, like I would say Willie Taggart did as well, the, the, the how bad exactly the culture problem was that he was inheriting I, I think and i think for the most part florida state fans think that they haven't given up on mike norvell yet i think you've seen in small doses promising signs but i think you've overall seen i mean a a, a real the inherent problems really put on display and i mean that's not to say that i think you can't get back into that picture but i think this year it showed exactly how long that could take for mike norvell and i think the good thing for Mike Norvell is I think he's going to get that time just from a financial situation. I don't see them moving on quickly like they did from Willie Taggart. What do you think of Clemson head coach Dabo Sweeney calling Coven an excuse to cancel the game between the two teams? Dabo is uh, a character. I think he's been a pretty interesting case study of going from – you almost seen the evolution of him from like the folksy – 
all shucks guy to I mean it felt like as he's won more he's kind of been more confident saying things I mean he's he said some pretty bad PR moments of late and that was definitely one of them because I mean it, it, the, the the issue with him saying that is a the, the financial hit FSU took by not being able to play that game that day was hugely significant. I know FSU, even with only, what, a quarter capacity at the stadium, was expecting to make uh, in the neighborhood of $2 million off that game, which for an athletic department in a rough financial situation is huge. FSU wanted to play that game. I mean, putting that on the administration is kind of silly. And, I mean, it also stems from it'd be one thing if – FSU had a test that day and said, oh, well, we can't. But it was Clemson that had the positive test and the situation that FSU wasn't confident in. So, I mean, it's Dabo's going to say what Dabo's going to say. It, it does not make it true. And I know that FSU just kind of rolled its eyes at a comment like that because it knows the truth of the situation and that that was as far from the case as could be possible. You were saying something about FSU being in financial trouble. Can you kind of go more into that? Well, I mean, everyone's in financial trouble right now just with COVID. I mean, I know football is a cash cow. Some some is basketball, but football is that cash cow for a lot of schools. So when you're entering a year and you're only able to sell what is most places a, a quarter of your, your tickets to your football games, in some cases I know they're not even really doing fans at all. I know in some conferences like the Big Ten, it's going to be a tough situation for everybody. And it, you, you compound that with FSU for the fact that they're – they're paying a hefty buyout to Willie Taggart after firing him in less than two years. And it's just a makes a bad situation that much worse for a place like FSU. This year, it has been a complete disaster. I don't think many people imagined that uh, FSU would be 2-6. and six. I'm not saying that they thought they would be competing for an ACC title, but we all thought on the outside that they would be better than they have been. On this show, we try to you know, focus on the positive things. Can you find a few positive things to come out of this season that you can build on for the future? It's more a thing for the long term than I would say the short term, but I mean, there have, there have been positives in the form of some young players stepping into pretty big roles early. And I mean, that's contributed to some of the issues thing with with FSU this year and, and they've been the coaches have been adamant about saying that they're not playing young players just to play young players they're doing it because they think it gives them the best chance to win now and that in and of itself is kind of a condemnation of the the older players on the roster and kind of the lack of development of a lot of them that they have a lot of freshmen and sophomores taking on such big roles I mean well over I want to say 50 percent of the FSU depth chart by this point in the year is freshmen and sophomores and so I mean that's obviously going to be something that comes with the growing pains now and I mean you've seen that in in, in a lot of non-competitive games against teams that not that long ago I think you probably would have beaten handily and so there's been most definitely the growing pains that have come with it but that's something that I think the coaching staff has had to commit to for a variety of reasons that could pay dividends in the future especially I mean if they're able to get a full, a regular off season this year, if they're able to have a full spring and stuff like that, because I think it's hard to overstate how tough it is for them. I mean, without kind of the first off season and you've seen some first year coaches have more for more success, but this is probably about the worst possible type year to bring in an almost entirely new staff and have to deal that deal with that and kind of install your offense and your defense almost entirely remotely. They have to only got three spring practices. Cornerback Asante Samuel has just declared for the NFL draft. What has this player meant to this team overall? I mean, Asante is the type of player who uh, most definitely didn't have to 
play this season, didn't have to play as long as he did this season. I mean, you saw plenty of players on, on teams opt out as the season went on. I mean, I, it speaks to him just how he is as a competitor, that he played as long as he was and had as much success as he did on a bad team because that's pretty hard to do. It's pretty hard to be that good individually when, when everything around you is kind of struggling as much as it was. He's, I mean, he's meant a lot. He, there were early in his career because of his, he's not as tall as kind of the typical corner. There were question marks of if he could hold down one of those spots. And he had a little bit of struggles with that as freshman year, but the last few years he's been especially strong for FSU and has really been, one of the bright spots on a defense that has not really met expectations either of those seasons. And I mean, I think he's done himself some favors by coming back and committing to this year in terms of where he might get drafted this upcoming year. Uh, besides Asante Samuel, there was one guy that stood out to me on that defense this year. It's uh, Amari Gaynor, the linebacker. Do you expect him to become the leader of that defense next year? Yeah, I think he is already trending towards that. I think he was one of those guys who, even though he's only, I think, a redshirt sophomore, is one of the leaders of the linebacker group is among them. I mean, is really uh, he's a guy. It's a, it's a weird situation. I know FSU in certain games hasn't really played him as much as in terms of like snap counts as much as they have wanted to because he has played more of the outside linebacker role. And sometimes they've taken that position off the field to go to more of a to bring in a nickel a fifth fifth db a nickel cornerback so that's been a situation where i know they haven't really played him as much as sometimes as much as fans would like and they've transitioned him to more playing more in the box which isn't his natural position as the year's gone on but he is the type of player i mean you, you nailed it he's the type of player who always seems to find himself around the ball and make a play he's that the, the, the playmaker is kind of a term thrown around but it definitely applies to him because he just seems to have a way to put himself in the, in the vicinity and to finish the play, which is definitely something FSU has struggled with this year and over the last couple. Uh, Kurt Weiler is with us. He's a Florida State beat writer for the Tallahassee Democrat. I want to get your thoughts on Marvin Wilson. What happened to him in, in 2020? I mean, he showed so much promise as a junior. He had a couple of really outstanding games, and then this year he just took a major step back as a senior. What happened? It's a mix of things. I mean, I think he's somebody who it would seem may have been a bit affected by kind of the off season spent apart and not being able to kind of get into FSU's training rooms. I mean, it's, it's a situation where everyone's going to have some kind of alternative, but the alternative is rarely going to be as good at kind of being able to get in there and actually do it. I know he was somebody who stayed in Tallahassee and worked out with the group, but I think that had an impact on, on a lot of people. And I also think he's been dealing with an injury. I mean, it wasn't something that was really, publicized or talked about much it was it was something that kind of stayed within the program until he missed the pit game but it kind of came out after the fact that he had been dealing with the knee injury that that would eventually end his season after he missed that pit game no doubt I think he one of the things he talked about was kind of a reason for coming back when he definitely didn't have to was to to kind of be a part of the change of returning the program to where he thought it belonged and more where it was when he got here it obviously wasn't the case for him and I can only imagine how how frustrating that was kind of for him knowing his potential and not being able to live up to it for one reason or another and kind of being a part of another struggling season. Another player that we wanted to get your thoughts on, uh, wide receiver Tamorian Terry. He battled injuries. He came back. Then all of a sudden he left the program. What took place with that situation? I mean, what occurred inside the program that, that Terry decided to bolt? And he was one of the 
players who kind of supported another player, Warren Thompson, when he took the social media and kind of called into question FSU safety protocols, which it's a tough look. I mean, it's, I think a situation that played into it of with the non-traditional off season, with the off season been apart and with all, what all these players have been through in terms of turnover over the last couple of years, it made it especially hard for Mike Norvell to kind of earn their trust over the off season before the season. And I think that was why kind of those situations played out the way they did. And I think t- Terry was especially frustrated just with a, how the season was going B, the fact that he was injured. I mean, you remember the Miami game, there was, he kind of got into an incident on the sideline with his position coach during the game and it, not physically, but just it seemed yelling at each other, just getting into some kind of verbal altercation. And he was hurt in that game. He was pl- tried to play. It seemed like it was mostly used as a decoy just because he was, it seemed far from a hundred percent. And I know he missed a couple games after that. And it's been, I mean, a, definitely another one where the situ- season, not what he wanted. He's battled some injuries. He clearly, we came back for the pit game was also still not a hundred percent. And I think that was when he kind of just made the personal decision that he just needed to focus on himself and, and prepare for whatever's next for him, be it the NFL draft, be it playing elsewhere. And I mean, it, Mike Norvell didn't really want to talk about Tamorian like he did the other guys who left on that day when there was kind of the mass exodus. I think there was a sense of frustration with him from, from how it played out as well. It was definitely, I would say not the, uh, bit that, that he thought it was going to be coming in the year just because of the stuff that, that went down. Do you get the feeling that Terry will declare for the NFL draft? I'm curious because he didn't have the type of year that I think a lot of people anticipated out of him. He bulked up. He looked to be in the best shape of his life. And then all of a sudden some, some injuries occurred in the beginning of the season. Yeah. I don't know how much that would get held against him. Cause you look at the year before, I mean, he was a thousand yard receivers had a number of number of touchdowns. I mean, really looked the part of, I mean, the thing with Terry has always been he's the type of guy who NFL types are going to drool over because of his size mixed with his speed. I mean, it's not something you see often. I mean, you, I'm not comparing him in terms of style of play, but the size-speed combination is Metcalf-esque. I'll be really interested to see kind of the numbers he goes and puts up at the Combine because I think he is somebody, the, the athletic freak type, who could very much impress there and help his draft stock. I, I do think he'll – He'll declare because I, I think he has shown enough, and I think he's ready. I mean, he he pondered the decision before, after leaving after this past year, and would he have been drafted higher then? Possibly, but I also think there's a chance if he'd come back and stayed healthy and had a really remarkable year that he could have really played himself into being a, a first round type guy. So I mean, he bet on himself; it, it didn't pay off, but I still think he's a guy who could be regarded decently well in that capacity just because of the intangibles. You mentioned about the mass exodus. Are people not buying into Mike Norvell and what he's selling? I mean, are a lot of guys frustrated inside that program? Oh, I absolutely think guys are frustrated, but I think so much of that stems not. I think it's more just the results. I mean, they've now twice in three years been sold on. This is my vision buy into it, and, and it hasn't had those instant results. It never had results like under Willie Taggart. I don't think it's so much Mike Norvell's problem so much as it speaks to, I mean, what I've talked about a little with regard to the, the culture that, that was in, in place by really the end of the Jimbo Fisher era at FSU. I mean, you read the ESPN story. It was maybe a bit one-sided in that it seemed like a lot of the stuff was coming from Jimbo Fisher's camp. And that was not a, not much of the story I would say was news to someone like me, who's kind of been a part of the situation and been 
covered the team now for five years in some capacity, but it exposed to, I think, the general college football fandom a lot more of just all the stuff that went down that kind of led to it. And I don't put a ton of the blame on Mike Norvell because I think not just the situation he inherited in terms of roster, in terms of culture, but also the offseason he dealt with. I think there is still a, a belief from a lot of people. I mean, I think it's going to always – it was always going to – it became clear early in the season, take time. I think the problem really for them, and it's a no-win situation, is just that the recruiting is struggling right now because they can't recruit in person. It all has to be virtual, and that's just tough to do for a new staff. So that's – it's really, I would say, going to potentially slow down the timeline more, just that recruiting has been so hindered by the ongoing kind of COVID restrictions. Who should be the quarterback of this team next year? It's an interesting question, to say the least. I mean, I think a guy like Luke Altmaier, their commit, who decommitted yesterday, is I think is trended towards Ole Miss, is a, is a guy who may have come in and competed day one just because it, it, there you don't leave this season thinking this is the guy. I mean, you've seen some glimpses from Jordan Travis. He's been the guy they've used the most. The problem with Jordan Travis has been he's definitely, with how physical he is as a runner, he struggled to stay healthy some and he also has his clear limitations, especially as a passer. I mean, he is a elite athlete and can make some throws, but is not someone I think you're going to ever see as a consistent passer. And that's kind of, I would say, maybe even exceeded my expectations from, I mean, the fact that he hadn't seen the field much yet and they really hadn't let him throw much until he was the starter this season. I would probably bet on not him, but Chubba Purdy, the, uh, the true freshman this year who is done for the year now. He missed the first number of games of the year and you really saw the uh the second half where he got comfortable you saw i mean i think the most well-rounded quarterback performance you've seen this year he's also decently mobile not as much as jordan travis but he is more regarded i mean he was his last two years in high school he had 3,000 yards passing and 1,000 yards rushing both of those years and he looked the part you saw in the second half for the first time oh this is the guy they thought they were getting and i mean it was just so fitting for the season that right when you saw that he had complications due to the uh, injury and, and had to kind of have surgery again to get the, the hardware that was put into him back in the surgery taken out early and ending his season. And it's just kind of how the season's gone for them. But I would bet on, on Chubba just because I think you saw in the second half for the first time that guy who really was billed coming in as the quarterback of the future. I think a full off season because he didn't get here till over the summer. He was not an early enrollee. will only help him in that regard. How is Mike Norvell doing on the recruiting trail? Uh, I talked about a little with Altmaier. I mean, it's uh, they lost their, their quarterback, their their highest-rated signee yesterday, and it's been trending that way for a while. It wasn't out of left field. I think it's a situation. I mean, the results definitely play into it, but I think they could have maybe done well to sell their vision to a guy like him if they'd been able to recruit him in person, if you've been able to be at games, if you've been able to visit without having to kind of just – they can visit, but the extent of a visit right now is they can come to a game, they can manage to get a ticket, and watch the game. They're not allowed in any of the facilities. They're not allowed to see the coaches in person. It's a really tough situation for everyone, but especially for those new staffs that kind of have to, I mean, start from scratch. And, and they're really – especially with, I mean, Mike Norvell coming from Memphis, there are some exceptions, but for the most part, he's not recruiting the players here that he's going to be recruiting – at Memphis. For the most part, he can kind of recruit to a higher tier of guy right now than he could have realistically at Memphis. But just with all that he's had to deal with in terms of not being able to sell that vision in person, I mean, a virtual visit of like they have a video of all the facilities and everything, and they can zoom and talk and the phone and things like that with prospects, but it's just not going to be the same. 
fans, I would say, are frustrated with with FSU's recruiting class because I think they're 34th in the recruiting class rankings right now, according to 247 Sports, which is, I mean, dramatically bad by FSU standards of late. I mean, you look at a team that was top five years ago in recruiting pretty much annually. Fans are frustrated about that, and I would say questioning if he's a recruiter. I don't think that's fair just because of he hasn't been able to recruit in person. I think you saw last year when he was really throwing together the recruiting class at the last minute. He did pretty well when he was able to have guys in person. He landed, he flipped a guy like Chubba Purdy from Louisville. He brought in some other big names and was able to get them to visit and, in some cases, get them to join the class on short notice. The little bit you saw from that was optimistic. I, I read more into that than I do this year because of the circumstances, but there's no doubt it does not look good for him at this moment. Deion Sanders, if he has some success at Jackson State, who knows? I mean, maybe Florida State will uh... – We'll get him back. We'll, we'll dial him up and, and try to bring him here in three or four years. But right now, Mike Norvell is the head coach. He had success at Memphis. He built a good program there. Do you think he's going to be able to, to bring FSU back to the top? I haven't given up on that yet. I would say there were, there were lingering issues people aren't always going to talk about that were clear under the surface pretty quickly about Willie Taggart at FSU in terms of disorganization in terms of just uh, a clear culture clash between the the players and the team and it was dealt with some in that ESPN story and it's been talked about other places I haven't seen heard about those things nearly as much with Mike Norvell yet I think I think they still believe in him I don't think there are those kind of red flags that you saw early in Willie Taggart's tenure and there's no sure thing because I mean it's been talked about so much I feel like a Tom Herman at Texas, a Jim Harbaugh at Michigan, those feel like perfect hires when they were made in terms of just guys you thought could return those programs. They kind of checked every box, and they haven't. So there's so much unpredictable about this because there's so many factors that go into it. I can't say I think it's a, a sure thing by any means because what is a sure thing? But I, I still believe that, that yes, it, it is possible and that he can. I think he does enough of the things right. Gonna, I think this year showed it's going to take time. I mean, it's going to be some time before they're truly in the in the realm of Clemson again but I, I mean I still see this as a team that could get back into that top tier of the ACC in time under Norvell. Kurt please tell our listeners where they can find your work. I, I write for the uh, Tallahassee Democrat it's Tallahassee.com and Nolsports.com either the one of those will get you towards our work you can follow me on Twitter at Kurt E-U-R-T-M Weiler W-E-I-L-E-R. Thank you for being with us. We appreciate it. Thank you for the knowledge. Thanks for having me, guys. This was another episode of Bloodscast. Take care, everyone.